So as Tracy was talking with the kids, we've been working through this sermon series called Bless, uh, to be a blessing to our community. Uh, B is for begin with prayer. L is listen with care. E is eat together. S is serve in love. And the final S is to share our story after we've done these things, after we've blessed people. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about Jesus. We watched the story of Jesus coming to Zacchaeus on purpose. And we realized that, I mean, many things in that story, but also we realized that Jesus is God on mission. And if we are following Jesus, then that means that we are a people on mission with him. I know oftentimes, and uh, hopefully that we've talked about it enough over the years as our church, that you know, there are missionaries who go somewhere far, far away, but then there are also us who are on mission in this community. You, this church, you are the missionaries to this community here. And those of you who are visiting, hopefully you see yourself as missionaries too in the place where you live. That we are on mission with Christ. We also then we went to the next story about beginning with prayer and we watched uh, Jesus in Mark's gospel as he had spent the day uh, casting out a demon, uh, healing Peter's mom, and then people from all over town brought their sick and people who needed healing to Jesus for them to be healed. And he healed them all that night and then early the next morning he got up to pray and we watched how Jesus began with prayer early in the morning and how God set the direction of his ministry through that prayer. So we begin with prayer and then we listen with care and we talk about the story or read the story in Luke's gospel when Jesus, just before he's about ready to enter Jericho, he comes across this man who is blind, um, who is begging. And we saw how God did amazing things when Jesus, despite all the social pressure and the time pressure, he stopped and talked with this man and healed him. And we saw how God does amazing things if we will take the time to listen with care. Well, this morning, uh, we move on to the next letter, E, in bless. Um, if you want to, in your bulletins, there's these, these handouts here, eating together. It says bless right along the bottom. That's the acronym. I'd say eating together might, might just be my favorite one. Um, anybody else love to eat together? Right, this is a great opportunity. This is a great missional practice. A great practice of missionaries is to eat together, to eat with people. But it's interesting because I've been eating with people pretty much most of my life. <laughs> um, but in the last few years, I've been eating with people as a missional practice, as a habit that I've tried to form to connect with people, especially for the sake of encouraging them in their faith. And it's interesting, as I began studying for this morning, began preparing this sermon, I, had, I was asking myself, how is eating together, how is that a missional practice? I've always just kind of taken people's word for it and just done it, and I've seen great things come out of uh, meals together. But how is it missional? I wonder if any of you are asking that same question, or maybe wondering that question. How is sharing a meal together, how does God use that really? How is that a missional thing? I mean, isn't there maybe a more direct way to encourage people in faith? Isn't there maybe a shorter, faster way uh, a way that, you know, is easier to measure, a uh, way of encouraging people in faith. Well, let's look at uh, the gospel this morning, the gospel of Luke. If you want to, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Um, or if you want to, it's in your bulletin as well. Let's, let's watch Jesus as he interacts uh, through a meal. <clears throat> so after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at a tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. 
and a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, It is not, it is not to the healthy, sorry, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray that we hear God's word this morning. Father in heaven, Lord God, we praise you for your word. We praise you for the sacrifice and faithfulness of our brothers and sisters for centuries who have gone before us to pass this word down to us. We praise you, God. We pray that you'd help us, Holy Spirit, as we hear your word, and then help us to live it out in our lives. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So as I'm reading this story, I realized quite a few things, but one of them, especially for this morning, was that Jesus purposefully ate with people as a way to connect with them, as a way to build a relationship with them, but also as a way to demonstrate what the Son of Man or what the Son of God, what the kingdom of God was like. Now it's interesting because, you know, it's 2,000 years and halfway around the world, but eating together was different in the ancient world. Well, there are some differences. Um, first of all, eating together was a way, uh, and you still see some of this in our, cult- in our culture today, but in that time, eating was an important way, one of the main ways that you reinforced social groups. It was one of the ways you reinforced relationships. So you'd eat with people to kind of keep your business partnership going or to keep your friendship going or to keep your peace going. You ate together. But it was also a way to identify social groups. Um, in the ancient world, you know, the, the Pharisees probably never ate, as you get a picture in this story, probably never ate with tax collectors. Everybody had their group, and those groups ate together. And eating together was one way you signaled, one of the ways that you showed who was in the group and who was out. Okay? So eating together was one of the ways you did this. And, and their culture, like our culture, is based mainly on uh, money or credit rating. That's how we get things done in our culture, mainly. Uh, their culture was based on honor and shame. And so you would eat with people who would bring you honor or who at least, very least, wouldn't um, cause you to lose honor. Honor was very important. And you definitely wouldn't eat with anybody that would cause you shame. So as a Pharisee, someone who uh, had an honor in being perceived as righteous, and uh, faithful to the word of God and very pure and clean, they would never dishonor themselves or never bring shame to themselves by eating someone who was a sinner, like a tax collector or a leper. Okay? So eating together was one of the ways that you reinforced who was in your group and who was out. Right? So this is kind of the context in which Jesus is eating with people. And so it's pretty amazing when you see Jesus purposefully, time and time again, throughout all the Gospels, eating with the wrong kind of people. I mean, Jesus goes to eat with Levi, a tax collector. And, and true to the ancient way of doing things, Jesus ate with him to connect with him, to show even Levi that he was not beyond the bounds of grace. Now, we might be thinking like a tax collector, like, you know, what's wrong with that? He's just doing his job. Well, if you remember a few weeks ago, and maybe some of you weren't, well, some of you weren't here, um, we talked about Zacchaeus, or sorry, Jesus going to Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, like a head honcho tax collector. And we talked to some about what it meant to be a tax collector in Jesus' day. You see, a tax collector was, on the one hand, a traitor, because they collected taxes for Rome, who was occupying Israel at the time. 
So you had this unwanted army, this unwanted empire who had overthrown, who had taken over, and imposed all these laws, and in addition to that, taxes. And so whenever Caesar needed a new curtain or a new army, he would tax the empire, usually the outside first. And so Israel would be taxed for things that didn't even show up in their lives. Can you imagine what that would be like? Being, having no say, being taxed for things that would never show up in your community. Not totally unfathomable, right? <laughs> um, so to work for Rome, you were a traitor, first of all. But here's how tax collectors made a living. So they would basically buy a contract from Rome. They would be responsible to pay a tax to Rome. Regardless of whatever happened, Rome didn't care. If you couldn't pay, then you were probably killed. And then they would find somebody else. So you had to pay Rome. But here's how a tax collector made money. They would actually charge more tax required. So say your tax was maybe you owed Rome 10,000 talents, which would be a ton of money. Well, whatever you got on top of that, you got to keep. And so tax collectors, that's how they made their money, by extorting their fellow people. Not only were they traitors, but they charged them more taxes than were required. And so it's one thing to have a tax collector who's barely scraping by, but to have a tax collector who was rich meant he was taking way more than he needed. All right, so this is a tax collector, and this is who Jesus goes to. He goes to him to bring him into the kingdom of God. To show even the people around him that it didn't matter what you did. Even a tax collector, even someone as horrible, as, as far to the outside, as miserable as a tax collector, could also be part of the kingdom of God. So not only is Jesus trying to connect with Levi, he's trying to demonstrate what the kingdom of God is like to the society around him. And so he goes to his party. And as we talked in the ancient world, who you ate with was who you associated with. It's kind of a way of saying, like, we're together. We are part of the same group. And so Jesus, by eating with Levi, brings him into the family of God. Brings him into a relationship, at the very least with himself. All right? And it says that, I I think actually Levi actually came to faith. It says he left everything and began following Jesus. In the Gospels, that's kind of like their, one of their ways of saying he began following Jesus in a spiritual sense as well. So here he is following Jesus. And he has this amazing party, and Jesus shows up and says, you know what, Levi, you and I are connected now. We are together. We are part of the same social group. So this is what Jesus does. But it's interesting, we can learn from Jesus, and there's tons to learn by watching what Jesus does. But I was also thinking about learning from Levi as well. You see, Levi, um, he heard Jesus. Jesus talked to him. And he left everything and began following Jesus. So here's Levi, this picture of devotion. And, you know, I, I imagine Levi was probably something like Zacchaeus, another tax collector in Luke's gospel. I imagine he probably thought, you know what, I'm already a tax collector. I'm already socially, spiritually a complete write-off. So I might as well have the money too, right? So I could see him not having a very high opinion of himself. I mean, think about it. So he had this huge party for, for a famous person like Jesus at the time. He has this huge party for him. And if you look at the text, look who comes. Civil leaders, religious leaders, high-powered business people. No. Other tax collectors, other outcasts. 
and other people. It just says other people in the text, but then the Pharisees call them sinners. These are his friends. This is all he has. He throws this big party for Jesus, and these are the only people who show up. So I think uh, Levi probably had this sense of, you know, I'm a lost cause. And yet he begins following Jesus and realizes that he's not. And he throws this big party. Now, I've heard it in other places, other circles, you know, as a way of, of having, they call them, even call them Matthew parties. Uh, Matthew is his name in, in Matthew's gospel. Matthew, Levi, um, most scholars think they're the same guy. Um, so you have these parties to help people get to know Jesus a bit better. I mean, it'd be awesome if Jesus showed up in person, but also we can talk with him about our own, talk with our friends and our neighbors about our own experience of them. Just having a party, getting to know people. So Levi starts, begins, or begins following Jesus, calls together this huge party for people to come and meet Jesus. What a great idea. What a fun way to encourage people in faith is by having a meal. So I'm realizing as we read this story, there's things that we can learn from Jesus, but I suspect we might be able to relate to Levi if you hear that difference. That we can relate to Levi. We too began following Jesus. We too can have parties, can have dinners with people to encourage them in faith. Okay, so this is what happens in the text. Right? 2,000 years ago, the culture that valued eating together and how eating together brought people into social groups and let you know who was in and who was out. Okay, so that's 2,000 years ago, but what about today? How does eating together today, how is that still a missional practice? Still the question that I was wrestling with this week and wanted to give it some thought. So, first thing I realized is that eating together in our culture, taking time to eat together, is provocative in our culture because it doesn't happen a whole lot. People are busy. Think about how many times you see people eating their meal alone at a fast food restaurant or in their car. Or how many people, I mean, most of you or many of you are retired now, but how many people do you know like they eat their meal at their desk alone? Or how many families do you know that come home uh, in the evening and they all stop what they're doing and they gather around the table for a meal? How rare is that? Our culture is going so fast now and food has become uh, fuel. Something you do while you're on your way to something else. And so for us just to take time to eat together, just to invite somebody over for a meal and to prepare it for them or with them even, and to spend the time to do that, to take a couple hours to talk, it just rarely happens in our culture anymore. And that is provocative. It gets people asking questions. Why, you know, why do you do this or how often do you do this? How often do you get together and eat for a meal? Or, or and get together for a meal? And then we get to share with them. Well, one, we value eating together. Um, I mean, you can even as, uh, as easily work it into that, you know, like, well, I mean, as a Christian, I think eating together is a part of, or a, an important part of our faith. Jesus ate together with people all the time. And it was a way he connected with people. And I would, I'd like to connect with you. Just something simple as that. People ask us questions. Why are you doing this? So, First of all, it's provocative. Eating together is provocative. 
The second thing, too, is uh, that it gives us this common experience together. That sharing this meal together, you mean people bringing all kinds of different stuff, if it's a potluck or if you've made the meal all yourself to prepare for them, um, you have this common experience. You're all eating the same meal. So you can either say, oh, this is delicious. And you're like, you can say, yeah, absolutely, you're right. This is delicious. This is good. Or, man, this is very strange. And you can say, yeah, I know, that didn't turn out well. Um, You have this common experience. I mean, think about when you're eating good food together. Just take a second and think about a dinner, a dinner that you've had recently or even maybe your favorite dinner where the food was good, it smelled good, it looked good, the textures, everybody's gathered around the table, plates are clanking, glasses are being filled, people are mmming and eyeing, the food is good, you can smell it. Think how good those times are. It's times together when you get together with a group of friends and you're laughing, just like the kids are up here and you're telling stories, you're talking about your week. Sometimes even somebody says, you know, I've been thinking about this, about faith. What do you guys think? And you have on your off onto this theological conversation or this faith conversation. Or even just talking about life. Think about how good that is. And you share that common experience with someone. But common experiences even work the opposite way, even when things go bad. You can, I mean, how many of you have a story of a dinner that went really bad with, with a friend of yours and you still joke about how bad it went? I was thinking of this week, um, years ago, we, we were at the Johnsons for dinner, um, all of our families together, and I remember Tracy and I, we brought tofu to grill. <laughs> and Dave Ringheim, he made a joke about like, just how bad of a hunter I was that I was, had to eat tofu grilled tofu. Like we still joke about that. So even bad experiences are common experiences. And common experiences foster friendships. They help us cultivate friendships. Okay? So one, it's provocative. Two, it's common experience. And three, eating together, um, it helps us um, to connect with people. To, to build friendships. I mean, think about um, how much time we spend with people when we're eating a meal. I was thinking about, um, um, uh, like I mentioned, a few years ago, we used to get together uh, every Saturday with the Johnsons and the Arsenos and the Ringheims and the Wards, and we'd get together and we'd share a meal. And I thought about the conversations that happened while uh, meals were being prepared, even the last little bit of preparation, the conversations we'd have while we were eating, the conversations we'd have while we were cleaning up. I think about my sons. Uh, Corbin still talks about, I mean, it's been years uh, since we've had those meals together, and Corbin still talks about how meaningful, how important they were, and how he wishes we could still do that. So eating meals together puts us together for a time. I mean, think about this. I mean, you go to someone's house, um, and you spend, like you show up at, what, five or so, and you leave at like eight or nine, sometimes later. It's like three or four hours together. Do you know how long it would take to build a friendship if you were just relying on bumping into somebody, like at the grocery store or out in the community or at the water cooler? 
how long it would take to build a friendship to get that many, that much time together versus just one meal. Like eating a meal together puts your relationship like uh, on in the fast lane. Eating a meal together, you get to find out. You could see you and Tracy with the kids this morning how easy it was for her to ask him, "How was your week?" You know, tell me your story. What have you been up to lately? Oh, and you hear some little thing. And you say, oh, interesting. Tell me more about that. And then next thing you know, they're telling you about their life. That doesn't happen very easily when we bump into somebody at the grocery store. But around a table, around a table, that can happen. And think about this, too. Um, just, uh, just imagine if I just invited you. Hey, I'd love you to come over to my house. for. Could you come for about three hours? Um, and we'll have a conversation about life and faith. <laughs> right? Some of you are like, uh, I think I'm busy that night. I think I've got to wash my car or my cat, something. Something, anything. But now think if I'd asked you over for dinner. Would you love to come over to dinner for our place this week? Yeah, see? <laughs> but I tell you, to have that conversation about life and faith while we're eating food together, it's so natural. It's so easy. And so going from inviting someone for over for two to three hours just goes from awkward to enjoyable if you add food, if you're sitting around the table and eating. It's powerful stuff. So eating together. Uh, one, it helps us um, uh, build relationships um, it takes time, you know, two or three hours, but it's way faster, way more meaningful than if you're trying to do it by running into someone at the Superette or the Gelling Gift or at Safeway. It's going to take forever just by running into someone. But it's also inviting someone to your house, for example, as a way to show them hospitality. You know, I mean, it's a unique instance or a unique situation in that you get, as soon as somebody walks in the door, you begin blessing them. You know, I know we kind of take it for granted because it's just what we normally do, but I mean, like, you take their jacket, you hang it for them, you welcome them. If they're carrying something, you usually what? Pick it up, take it. Here, let me take that from you, and I'll take it into the kitchen. They come in, and you say, can I get you something to drink? Have a seat. You show hospitality. You're kind to people. You bless people, right? as the minute they walk in the door. And that we don't take that for granted, that we are being kind to people just by having them come over. Which leads me to this next thing, is that um, the way that we eat with people often shapes the fruit that comes from it. So like I said, if we invite someone to come to our house, we get to show them hospitality, we get to bless them as soon as they walk in. And I know it's sort of in our culture, they kind of expect it and we kind of take it for granted, but it's still happening. We're still blessing them. And so you bring them in. But not only that, but you get to bring them into your life. I mean, inviting someone into your home to eat with your family, that's a pretty big deal. To invite someone into that, in, into that close, into that type of relationship, it's important. I know that not everybody who comes to your house ends up being your best friend. I realize that. But you never know. You never know the, the friendships. I mean, I have people who have come over to our house like once or, twice, once or twice 
ever. And they're still, like I see them in our community and they are like close friends. Another interesting thing is um, another way to do it. So inviting people to your house is one thing. But another way to do it is to uh, take someone out for lunch. Now that's an interesting one too because that you get to actually bless someone by taking them for lunch. But you can also say, like use that as a way to show appreciation for them. There's people in our community who I've taken uh, taken for lunch just as a way to say, "I, I want to say I'm grateful for what you do in our community. I'm grateful for your service. You know, and maybe the job you have, most people will take it for granted or, or whatever. But it's an opportunity for me to say, I'm grateful for you. So one, they receive the lunch as, as a thank you. Then also two, we don't just sit there and eat lunch. I get to learn about them. I get to ask them about their lives. And I'm always looking for ways to encourage them in faith. Or to talk about how God has been encouraging to me in my faith. So just the setting changes things. Inviting people into your home, or you can take people out for lunch. Another great one is if someone invites you for dinner at their place. You get to go. You get to enter into their world. You get to receive hospitality from them, and they want to give it. And so what a blessing to go and to receive it graciously. And it's a way of saying that I am for you. Going to someone's house when they invite you is a way of saying that I am for you. I mean, think about like when, if you've ever had a party and, you're, and you've ever had a party and you've wondered, I'm not sure who's going to be able to come. How angst-making that is. How unsettling that is. And then you see all the people who come and it feels pretty good, right? If we can be one of those people who come, one of those people who show up at someone's house when they invite us, it gives you an amazing opportunity, one, to connect with them on a relational level, but to begin by just saying, I'm for you. I'm here. I want to eat with you. I want to connect with you. And see, that's an interesting thing, too, is that eating together breaks down all kinds of social barriers. Eating together, I mean, think about this. You can eat together with, I mean, even people in this church family. You can have people who bring prime rib because they have five of them in their freezer and they need to get rid of one. And you can eat at the same table with someone who brought buns because that's all they could afford. And you're all eating the same meal together. Feeling the same basic human need to eat food. And there's just this amazing, unwittingly uh, undermining social categories by eating together with people. Or what an amazing way to share culture or to share recipes. Maybe some of you, I know some of you are chefs and you like to cook. What a great way to share yourself with someone. A few weeks ago, um, we had a friend over, um, uh, a guy that I know from, from the school, and he loves to cook. I would have never guessed that. <laughs> and so he brings one of the things that he wanted to make. And it was just this amazing. I was sharing uh, the elk that I had cooked, that I had smoked, and he brought these um, asparagus wrapped uh, in prosciutto things. Like, it was amazing. But we got to share these things together. Eating together is this amazing social equalizer. This table that you sit around kind of levels everybody out. Or at least it can if you let it. I mean, think about this. How many other places can you sit together with an 8-year-old and an 80-year-old 
and they have equal access to the conversation, equal ability to contribute to what's being said. Right? Eating a meal together undermines social categories about age, about wealth, about uh, political standing, all that stuff. The table can even all that out and you can just be people eating together. So eating together is important. As I've been thinking some about it this week, one, I was reminded that it's provocative in our culture. Taking time to prepare food to eat together with people is provocative in our culture. So when people ask you, why are you doing this? You get this amazing opportunity to say, you know, as a follower of Jesus, I saw how he ate with people and how meaningful it was, so I wanted to eat with you. Or even that it shares this common, the table is common between all of us, that the food is a common experience, gives us something that we can relate to together. We talked too about how eating a meal together makes time for people. And we talked too about how it levels all these social categories. The table is a great leveler. But the thing I wanted to mention too is that we've been talking mainly about sharing a meal with people outside of the church friends and neighbors who we're praying for. But it's also important that we eat together as a church family because all these same things happen within the church family as well. When we eat together, our relationships grow. When we eat together, we find it easier to work through differences because we have a better relationship for having eaten together. Sharing a table with friends, with people, brings us together. It cultivates friendships it makes us strong so that when we do have a disagreement about something, whether it's in the church or we just happen or something outside the church, that we can work through it. Because I can tell you that one of the things, one of the top things I hear about people um, who aren't a part of a church and who don't want to be a part of a church is because they've been in a church or they've seen it when people in the church were fighting and it was ugly. I pray that never happens with us. Not that we don't have disagreements. I know we have disagreements all the time, but that we handle them as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that is easier done if we are eating together, growing our relationships by eating together. And also, too, it brings us together. It strengthens us as a community. And that's why I'm so grateful that, that Dave and Deb have this conviction to have communion uh, on, on feast Sundays for us to have a potluck, together, a potluck um, brunch together. You know, it's, at first it can be easy to take it for granted. Like, oh, really? I got the one more thing and there's something else I want to do after church. And, but I invite you, I ask you to think of it this way as cultivating the relationships in our church. As a way of being healthier as a church family. Eating together so that our relationships grow so that we're not only stronger to work through differences, but when people from the outside come to visit us, they can feel it. They can see how different we are as a church family. That we actually enjoy spending time together. That we have good relationships. So these are some of the things about the importance that I've learned this last week about eating together. And I started thinking about, imagine if we, imagine if all of us were eating together with people in our community. People that we were praying for people that we desired to encourage in faith, people that we were listening to with care. Imagine, look at all the people in this room. Imagine if each of us ate with just one or two people this next week. Imagine the relationships that would be cultivated in that time. 
the conversations that we could have. Conversations about meaningful things, about life, about faith. Imagine it. So I want us to um, hear this word this morning, looking at the way Jesus ate with people, how important it is, how fruitful it can be. And then let us eat with people this week. I mean, what a great challenge, right? Eat with friends this week. Amen. I'm interested to hear from you. So.